set aside in your work schedule time to simply do strategic thinking. Maybe it's just an hour or two a week. But strategic thinking is very hard, meaning it's a big calorie burn. We feel it's not doing anything because we don't see the activity of busyness. But it's like saying, oh, you're successful when you're moving pieces on the chessboard. But no, you're successful when you think about where you should optimally move the next piece. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders who are rewriting the rules of sales and success. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast. Hey, listeners of the podcast, we've put together an exciting community where you can dive deeper into the content of every single episode. And for those of you who join this community from the podcast, we'll give you an access to a course we've just put together worth $500, all yours for free, while we're sending this out to our listeners of the podcast. Simply go to sellingwithlove.com forward slash podcast to be eligible to get this course for free. And we look forward to seeing you in the community. Thanks again for listening. And now, Enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everybody, to the Selling with Love podcast. Super excited to have a returning guest. Matter of fact, I believe this is the guest that has been on the show the most amount of times, and simply because this man covers so many amazing topics when it comes to business growth, sales, making profit, generating revenue, and being organized in the way that you operate so you have more time, more freedom, and a little more fun when you're going to be going out there building your empire or building your small business. Whatever your goals are, the man has a ton of literature that can really keep you focused. I love his methods. He always mixes it in with some of the concepts I love from either personal growth or nature. So we're going to discuss a bit more about what the queen bee phenomenon is and so much more as I bring Mike Michalowicz back on the show. Super excited to bring him and he just released a new edition of his book Clockwork. This is what we're going to be focused on today. So I'm super excited to bring him back and to go deeper into the conversation. Mike, welcome back. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Jason. Thank you, as always, for having me. I love that I'm your most frequent guest. That means I'm really selling myself to you with love. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm selling and, myself to and you. And you know, I've had a couple of people come back twice, and I'm trying to recall, it was through some outreach or some social media post, something came across my radar. That was a couple of weeks back, and it was about the fact that your book is being re-released and a new edition came out. And I was like, wow, well, I loved everything we've discussed. You know, we had Fix This Next was the first book that we covered. We had Get Different, which was the newest book. And then uh, now we have a new edition of Clockwork. So we're going to be focusing on that today. But I guess I'll start with the obvious question is Clockwork itself is an amazing book. It's all about, you know, making sure your business operates like clockwork. And a revision has been made and an update has been made. So I'd be curious to know what got you motivated around making the updates? What changes are you seeing? And uh, tell us a bit more. Yeah. So we have behind the book, a service group, we call it Run Like Clockwork. And we had our thousandth student go through it. And through that experience, we found, wow, there's opportunities to make things more efficient, easier to deploy. And also I got some feedback on the book itself from readers that kind of confounded me because I made a mistake I didn't realize. I had one reader say to me, I love the book Clockwork, I'm deploying the system, but I don't want to tell my employees about it because this is going to end in me taking a four-week vacation for my business. It's all about me. And I'm like, my gosh, no, no, we need our employees engaging and hopefully reading the book because they're going to become empowered. The new book is literally 60% new content. It was a massive rewrite. My publisher 
was surprised. They said, oh, usually it's just a new intro, new outro, and there you go. Can't you get this done in two months? I'm like, no, no, I need 12 months. It took me 12 months to do the rewrite. So 60% new content, 100% reorganized, I think, to be more fluid, to engage the employees so they can deploy the system, to introduce new concepts or simplifying existing concepts. My hope is that the impact by readers now will be a multiple faster and a multiple bigger. I love it. So for most people who are listening to this probably haven't been even exposed to the first clockwork, but this is one of the big content pieces, or I guess one of the major benefits that gets shared within the book is that even as a CEO of a growing business, you could find yourself taking up to four weeks holiday and you even encourage it. So I'd love for you to unpack a bit more for that. Is that something you recommend for people to do? Yeah. And I may be so bold to say I mandate it. So in my research, the initial research was about 10,000 companies that we analyzed, 100 that we did deep analysis on, and that's continued on with the new revised book. What I found is that for almost any business, it experiences monthly cycles, meaning they have to attract clients or prospects during that month, recruit employees, contractors, they have to terminate relationships. They close out the month. At the end of the month, they do the accounting closeout and so forth. So all elements of the business are typically touched on in these week monthly cycles. So that my thesis or hypothesis was, if the owner of the business can be extracted from the business for four consecutive weeks and the business continues to sustain or grow, that means the business owner can be removed into perpetuity. So the four-week vacation is the ultimate asset test for the business. And I think how it was misconstrued, I mean, this was not my intent, but I think how some people perceived it as, oh, I'm getting freedom from the business. Yes, that's part of it. But the four-week vacation is not only about the business owner getting a vacation. It's about the business getting a vacation from the owner. It's the only way to test out the business and see if it can run in your absence. And listen, it's not going to be perfect. When you come back, whatever didn't work is what needs to be fixed. But I will tell you this. I've been doing it for six years now, the four-week vacation, every year. The clients that we've had to read this book have done it. And my employees and colleagues have become empowered in the process. They are in control. They're the decision makers. The last thing about this four-week vacation, and something I add in this new book, was the president of our company, her name is Kelsey, came to me now three years ago and said, hey, Mike, you're getting these four-week vacations, and it's wonderful. We're empowered and we're strong. But there's becoming this dependency now, not on you, the business owner, but on the rest of the team members. What if everyone here took a four-week vacation? Not at the same time, at different times. And something we instituted two years ago, we're now in our third cycle, so we've been doing this. My personal assistant, for example, is on our four-week vacation right now. And what we found is it forces redundancy into the organization. So Aaron, my personal assistant, is backed up by Amy and Jeremy. And Jeremy, who's about to take his four-week vacation, is backed up by Jenna and Scott. So we have all these contingencies in place. It's become powerful in not just recruiting— I can't tell you how many people have applied to work here now saying, we hear you give four vacations. It's a wonderful thing. But it's been powerful in forming redundancy in our organization. Because ultimately, someone's going to leave because they see a new opportunity elsewhere. They decide to retire. They become unhealthy. I could become sick and I have to leave. So this is like the fire drill for a business. Force that disruption where individuals are not available for the business. It forces the business to address that. And then when it happens in nature then the business is prepared for it. Yeah, I think both of the pain points you've highlighted is number one, the dependency on you as the business owner, especially at the 
early stages, it's almost like, oh my God, if I leave for just a couple of days, the whole castle's going to crumble. Some of it can be because, you know, you haven't matured your process. And I know for Clockwork, it actually gives you a lot of insights on what you can do to build those processes, have the redundancy and make sure the team takes over. But at the same time, there's also a psychological aspect that needs to be overcome. So I'd be curious to know, like when you go through Clockwork and someone that's considering implementing these kinds of processes, how much do you think is actually system versus maybe letting our ego get out of the way that thinks that, hey, this business is nothing without me. Yeah. So the mindset and ego is the majority. I wish I could put a number on it, but it's definitely over 50% of the successful deployment of clockwork is that we need to get out of our own way. Now, from my own experience, I had definitely a challenge with my ego. I remember taking my first fork vacation and within a few days, I checked my email and there was silence. No one asked me for anything. And one of two things happened. The business literally just vanished within two or three days. More likely, no one needed me. And that's when the first single tear came down. And I was like, what? No one wants me. But there's also this compulsion to be a superhero. When I talk with entrepreneurs, I felt I could swoop in and save the day. And that's the common belief I hear circulating. So in the new version of Clockwork, I introduce a simple but extraordinarily impactful framing that I believe we no longer should call ourselves entrepreneurs because that's likened to a superhero. I love the term entrepreneur, but I think a better term is a shareholder. So what I do is I challenge people right in the beginning of the book to declare you're a shareholder of a small business and say this repeatedly. So when you're out and you're talking with some people and they say, what do you do? Say I'm a shareholder of a small business and it's gonna be like a deer in headlights kind of moment. They're gonna be like, what? You're a shareholder of what? Now you have to explain what a shareholder does, which is someone who gives strategic direction, they vote for the board of directors, they make major decisions through voting, and they share in profits for taking the risk. That's my job, strategic direction and sharing in the profits. Now, there's one final thing, and it's happening actually right now. Once the business can run in the absence of the owner, it's not dependent on the owner, we as a shareholder can vote ourselves in to do certain things. I love being the spokesperson for these ideas. I love writing books. So the two things I do is I'm the active spokesperson. I do podcast interviews or speaking on stage and I love writing books, but the business doesn't need me necessarily exclusively for that. We have other people that do speaking. We have other people that write books. I have these derivatives of my other books, but it gives me joy. So I've just chosen to reinsert myself in the business. The key is this, become a shareholder first, Sure, the business can run without you. And then, yes, if it gives you joy to work, then reinsert yourself in a way that you're complementing the company. I love that mindset. But I'd also be curious, like, I don't think that's necessarily something you would do from the start. Like, if you're just getting started in business, this is definitely not the book for you. I feel like some of the listeners here might be prescribed to the ideology of like the four hour work week, for example, which is all about like location independence. And like, you're not really talking about running a team at that point. So is there a certain threshold that you say, like, at this point, you should really be thinking about being a shareholder as opposed to being an independent contractor within your business with a lot of maybe other people that you outsource to? Yeah, this is like a throttle. And I met with Michael Gerber. This is now over a decade ago. He's the famous author of E-Myth. His core message is don't work in your business, work on your business. And what came out of that conversation was interesting is I heard that most of his readers, most entrepreneurs are waiting for this flip the switch, that if I work in the business long enough, one day magically, I don't have to work in it. So it's about hustle and grind up to this magic moment. 
The reality is that never will happen. We have to slowly extract ourselves. So your point is right. You're not gonna have the business running itself. You just started it, maybe it's just you. It's not like tomorrow you're gonna wake up and it's gonna run itself. But we are gonna start this deliberate process where we reduce the dependency on our availability. We wanna transition from always doing work to designing outcomes. So what I encourage many entrepreneurs is set aside in your work schedule time to simply do strategic thinking. Maybe it's just an hour or two a week. But strategic thinking is very hard, meaning it's a big calorie burn. We feel it's not doing anything because we don't see the activity of busyness. But it's like saying, oh, you're successful when you're moving pieces on the chessboard. But no, you're successful when you think about where you should optimally move the next piece. Winning in chess is not what we see happening. It's the thought behind that movement. And so we need to start becoming that chess master. And I just invite people one hour, maybe two hours a week, if you're actively doing the work, to sit down and ponder, where could we be? How do I get there? What do I want? How do I shift things around? And maybe you don't have any clients yet. Maybe you don't have any vendors yet. Or maybe you don't have any employees or contractors. So you start seeing where you can start leveraging some outsiders and introducing some people on a fractional basis. This isn't like, oh, I gotta hire a full-time employee now. No, no, start bringing people in slowly, start making these strategic decisions, and you'll see that this amplifies the results because you're thinking, not just doing. All right, absolutely love this. Now, in the concept of clockwork, some of the assumptions that I would have is, you know, okay, I want this business to run by itself, so are we talking about another book that's really all about process documentation? And I know that this is actually one of the pain points most people complain about is like, oh, I just need to document all my processes. Is this the key? Is this the way to win? Or are you seeing it differently? It's kind of the way, but it's misinterpreted. So what most entrepreneurs do is we build SOPs, Standard Operating Procedures, which is a, to your point, it's a booklet. We document this thing and that way anyone can refer to it and follow the process and prescription. Here's the problem with it. Our attention spans are very limited, so for us to read through a heavy book isn't gonna happen. I remember I was visiting my publisher, it's Penguin Books, going to the offices I met with my editor, as sitting in his office, I'm like, what's that big book there? It was covered with dust and everything. I literally thought it was like the first book, it was like the Bible off the Gutenberg Press type thing. I was like, that's amazing, what is that? He's like, oh, that's the RSOPs. I'm like, when did you last read that? He's like, I've never read it. He goes, that's from two people ago that were in this office, it just sits there. So it doesn't get consumed. The other thing is it's very time consuming to create and its relevancy fades very quickly nowadays because we're so dependent on technology, equipment, and technology is advancing, software changes. So instead of creating SOPs in the traditional sense, I invite people to do what's called captures. Captures is where you record the process. I don't believe we need to create systems. I believe we all have all the systems we need. It's just in our mind, we're doing it. Maybe for the first time, often repeatedly, but when we do something, record the process as we do it, and if it's on the computer or whatever, do a voiceover as you're doing your screen recording. If this is something like you're moving boxes or you're in a, some other kind of dialogue, you can use your smartphone to record it. Now you've captured the process while doing it. So the productivity doesn't decrease. Maybe it takes a little longer because you're talking over what you're doing, but you've completed what you needed to do. This process now, you delegate to the next person. Delegation is where you sign, hey, here's our objective. This is the outcome we want to achieve. Do we agree to that? This piece I'm giving you is our best practice, but if you run to roadblocks, navigate around it. And then this is the key. Once they're doing this new process, have them capture them teaching the process for the next person, even though there may not be a next person. 
the saying that the best student in the room is the teacher. So once they can effectively teach it, you know they've mastered the process. Plus, if they choose to leave or they move on, their knowledge doesn't leave because they've already captured it. And this is where you're talking about having like redundancies or lack of dependencies on any individual. Because oftentimes you can have an individual that operates like the black box, right? It's just like yeah. mysterious input goes in <laughs> and mysterious output comes out. And if that person leaves, a key piece of the business leaves with it. And so this, I love it, is very easy to do. And the technology makes it amazing. Like you're using software like Loom. For most of us who are working from our desk, I know Loom's a great platform, sometimes just using QuickTime. I even had somebody come on my show a couple of weeks ago, which was called Scribe. And it was actually a tech innovation where it actually creates an SOP document with every click you make with screenshots automatically. And so I'm so excited how the tech space is really facilitating what you're teaching so that it's actually much easier for us to be able to do these, what we consider boring tasks, but make so much leverage happen. And so I like that this isn't necessarily about document everything because I've seen this happen. Like I'll, I'll be like, okay, today I'm going to document this one thing only to have the major software update. And now the entire interface and screenshots I took are gone. And I'm like, oh, oh my God, I've been wow. there. Oh my God. And it's, it's hours and it can be hours and hours of effort. Yeah. But it's so easy to just hit record, talk over it. And I think that's something everybody can do. And again, you speak about doing this at a certain size of business, but this is a habit you can build right from the start. And then it actually makes it more easy to get somebody to join in. And I think something like YouTube, there's so many pre-recorded systems out there. Like I have to do some invoicing in our QuickBooks system, for example. I could record how I do it, or I can go on YouTube and see if someone's already mastered this skill and has a video and just say, this is going to be our starting standard. Damn, that's true. I think resourcefulness is so easy to leverage now that this content is everywhere. And one thing I wanted to dive into, because I mentioned it earlier, is you speak of a concept of the queen bee inside a company. And I wanted you to break it down about what's this bee role that you're looking for when you're growing the business. Yeah, yeah. And this is something I spent a lot of time codifying and simplifying. Is in the original book, it's the, what it is, it's called the queen bee role or the QBR. And what it points to is that there's a singular activity within any business that's the most important activity. Now, the analogy and why I use queen bee is I was studying beehives and found that the most important role or function is served by the queen bee is the production of eggs. If the hive isn't producing eggs, the entire colony will collapse. And so we have to ask ourselves, what's the most important activity we do in our business that ensures the business is delivering on its promise or reputation? Well, the old method I had was just figure out all the things you do and let's do deductive logic and we'll find it. The simpler system now is first start off, what do you want your reputation to be? What do you want to be known for? What's the singular most important thing you want to be known for? And if you don't know what it is, ask your existing clients and say, why do you choose to hire us? And you'll probably find a common thread. The example I use is FedEx. FedEx promises to deliver packages on time. That's their biggest promise. Yeah, they got print shops and they do other things. But their biggest promise is we're going to deliver your packages on time. Once we know that, we say, what is the one activity of all the activities we have that most makes sure that promise happens? So FedEx, they have the print shops, uh, they have a customer service department, they have logistics. And I'd say of those three and all the other things, logistics, the movement of packages, is the most important. So therefore, that becomes their queen bee role. And here's the ultimate asset test. If FedEx tomorrow says, you know what? We're going to ditch logistics. We're going to double down on customer service. We're going to put everyone in the customer service department. 
the headline will come out within a week or two in the paper saying, FedEx doesn't know where an effing package is, but they're super friendly about it. Like FedEx will be in jeopardy of going out of business. They're a multi-billion dollar organization and their foundation is compromised. They're, they may go out of business because of that one decision. Now, if you flip it, FedEx says, screw customer service. We're doubling down on logistics. Everyone in the customer service department, this is what you do. Get packages delivered on time. The headline will come out in two weeks saying, uh, FedEx not answering the phone, but my gosh, every package still delivered on time. They may be hurt, but they're not out of business. The QBR is that activity that keeps us in business because it delivers on our reputation. Everything else, you, you need to be in the ballpark, but the one thing you must excel at, and sadly, most small businesses doesn't don't know what their QBR is. So they haphazardly hit on it. It's in the natural course of work, they're kind of doing it, but since they're not prioritizing it, it slips. And that's why most small businesses have this potential to stay mediocre forever. They can never get past that certain threshold of growth because they can't build a reputation of excellence on a big scale. You got to know what your QBR is first, and then you must always, always deliver on that. I love it. Now, one thing, Mike, like I mentioned at the beginning is like you speak on so many different topics for small businesses. And I know you have a big mission behind what you do is this whole entrepreneurial poverty is kind of the beat that you keep beating on of what is it that you're trying to do is eradicate this poverty in entrepreneurship. And there's so many areas where people have waste, they're maybe not focused on the right thing. And you're really shining a light on the important factors clockwork being when people are losing efficiencies, they're not having their processes optimized, not working with their team and not having things operate with some sort of level of order. And I can only think back of a past interview that we did. And I'm going to make sure there's a link in the show notes for those who wants to look at fix this next it seems like clockwork fits really nicely for an organization that's looking to bring order, which is kind of the third tier within Fix This Next, right? I remember we talked about chakras and business. This was a fantastic conversation. Yeah, it's right, it's right. Maslow's hierarchy. That's it, that's it. Business have a soul and this Fix This Next basically highlights it. So I was gonna ask you, you know, given the different tiers of businesses that are listening to this show, identifying that a lot of people, when they're looking to bring order to make sure that things work like clockwork, clockwork is the ultimate thing that we're recommending for people. Do you have kind of a scale of where you tell people to start with getting deeper into your work and books to read in general? Yeah, so it's a great question. So I used to blurt out like, oh, clockwork's on top of my mind. You got to read clockwork. But I found that was a mistake. I ask people first when they say, what book should I read now? I say, well, what's the biggest challenge in your business you're facing now? And you got to find that book. Hopefully I've written something that serves that, but there's countless extraordinary books out there that should be read. So first figure out what you need next. And that's why I actually wrote Fix This Next. Is some business owners just say, I'm trying to do everything, which is a recipe for real problems. So Fix This Next is a tool to find out what to do next. So if you don't know what to do next, I invite you to read Fix This Next. If you do know what to do next, concentrate all your energies on that. Mike? Thank you so much for being a returning guest on the show. I love every time you get to bring some new insights. And this is something I wanted to end with because I know it becomes really overwhelming trying to prioritize where should we put our attention. And I do feel that Fix This Next was such a beautiful blueprint to make people understand based on the stage that they are, what they need to focus on. And just a recall for everyone, 
you'll be impressed by this, Mike, but I know that number one, you got to focus on revenue. And so if you're still struggling on generating revenue, that's the first thing you prioritize. And that's why you're on the selling with love podcast. So you can get over these blocks around sellings. The second thing you want to do is maximize your profit. Again, I'm quoting fix this next, but you want to start making actual profit. And then there you can actually get, I think it's profit first would be the second book on that shelf, which is also written by you. So definitely check that out. And then the third thing, once you're profitable is you want to have less chaos. So we want to bring order into your business. And this is perfectly where I see clockwork happen. And I see that you're working on all of them, but you want to focus on the revenue profits first and you kind of climb into it. Then you have impact and legacy, but I'm going to keep that for a different episode. Mike, this was a fantastic show. Thank you so much for your time. And I got to ask you the final question, which is you're on the Selling with Love podcast. What does Selling with Love mean to you? What it means to me is using your business as a platform to express your authentic self. I feel so blessed and fortunate that I have a platform now where I can be of service. And if I'm genuine and authentic to myself, I'll be communicating with a community that resonates with me. And that's where I think true connection, true love happens is representing yourself authentically, giving caringly. That's what selling with love is. I love it. Mike, thank you so much for your time. For everybody listening, again, we're talking about bringing clockwork operations within your business. You're seeing about things can actually happen on a schedule. And what Mike has shared is you can look at what's happening on a monthly basis and usually break it down. I love that we talked about not necessarily documenting every single process, but capturing the key things that you do so that you can eventually see how this could be done with delegation. And you can start focusing on what is that QBR, the queen bee role? What is that number one activity that you do that you wanna defend at all costs and make sure that it has redundancy and encouraging yourself and some of your employees to take four-week vacations. Why? So you can see how your business is resilient while you are away. And the heartbreaking and mindset process is you might realize it's starting to get more and more resilient the more you operate, and you might be acting more like a shareholder, and that's where you want to be. I absolutely love this mindset. I think it's a great thing that I'm going to implement within the way that I operate to inspire me to think more strategically because that is the important activity that we work on. Mike, once again, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's always a pleasure to have you. Jason, thank you. I am your host, Jason Mark Campbell, and this is the Selling with Love podcast.